Hello, friends. This is Josie from Speaking in Church, the podcast you are currently listening to. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about my favorite current thing right now, which is Anchor. Anchor is a free podcasting platform. Um, It's the easiest way to make a podcast. This dummy, yours truly, set it up real quick. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, which, hello, talk about easy. You don't have to be some professional computer person, which is dope. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and literally wherever else you want to put it. Uh, You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which, you know, some of us are just not going to get a million people listening, which is fine. Um, It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you want to make your own podcast about literally anything like the two of us, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey friends, welcome back to the Speaking in Church podcast. This is Spencer. I know Josie usually introduced herself first. Um, she is out this week, so it'll just be me, but don't worry because we have a fire guest today, a very dear friend of mine, Stephanie Shawl. Stephanie, welcome. Woo-woo. Thank you. You're welcome. So guys, Stephanie is currently practicing social work in Sacramento, California. After spending time within the social work field in Los Angeles, Detroit, and Dallas, she has relocated back to her home state to bring her experience with domestic violence, child abuse, and human trafficking prevention to her community. She has worked as a victim advocate and also a child and family advocate at various agencies around Detroit. And most recently, she was a community educator in Dallas, working on bringing awareness to social justice issues and working towards sustainable community change. Stephanie is a graduate of none other than Azusa Pacific University. Uh, it's an undergraduate. Oh, hello. Yes. <laughs> an undergraduate degree in social work. Um, and she is also a master. She received her master's from Case Western Reserve University with a master's in social science administration. Her, she's passionate about empowering women to break through the gra- glass ceiling that the church has historically created for women. And she is passionate to walk alongside women in their personal and professional circles to navigate what it really looks like to live authentically and unapologetic- unapologetically in God's purpose. So please give a warm welcome to my dear friend, Stephanie. Thank you, Spencer. You're welcome. So Steph, welcome to Speaking in Church. Uh, we always kind of start off with, we want to hear your story, your testimony, you know, the Christian hot words. (laughs) So just kind of tell our friends here a little bit more about yourself. Absolutely. Well, again, thanks for the warm welcome. I think for me, you know, it's been (laughs) such a crazy couple years. And I think for me, I've found a lot of testimony. I have found, um, just a lot of, God's purpose in my story and how I can share it differently now that I've been in the social work field for a couple years growing up. uh, My dad was in real estate development. And when I was nine, he decided to go into the church world and become a pastor of a mega church in Northern California. So we moved all of our stuff from Boston, Massachusetts, and we switched coasts and um, came back to California after having been gone for most of my life at that point. Um, We'd always attended church 
growing up, um, which the East Coast is a really interesting church culture in that um, most and this is arguably and more so my opinion than anything else of at that time, I just saw it as, um, not really a church place. Um, no, maybe you were Catholic, maybe you weren't, but everyone else didn't necessarily attend church in our small, small circle. So we were kind of, um, kind of the odd ones out in that way. Um, and then we got into the church world and it was like, all of that changed. Everyone all around us was all of a sudden, you know, Christians and in the church world and then into religion and all these, all these different terms we use. And I think for me, it was overwhelming going from a medium sized church to this huge church in, in Sacramento. And, um, it was definitely an adjustment. I would, you know, arguably I've gone back to be being an introvert. However, I was very introverted when I moved, um, just before 10 and then I got pretty extroverted and now, you know, pandemic and you're like, all right, people. Um, but for me, it was really challenging navigating the church and faith coming from the East coast where we didn't talk about our faith with our friends and, or even at school and it wasn't the norm to be a Christian. And so coming into a place where it was so welcomed and um, something that you just did, that was very foreign to me. And then also add on being introverted, I didn't really like talking anyways. And so for me, it kind of, as I went through elementary school and middle school, um, I didn't necessarily have encounters with God until right before I went into high school. I, um, I went to church camp, very classic Christian pastor's kid, went to church camp during the summer. And I just had this encounter with God during worship and I raised my hands. And I remember, I can't remember if that was the first time I'd ever raised my hands uh, during worship, but there was something that happened there where my faith became my own. And I recognized that I didn't want to be a Christian just to follow what I had seen and what was all around me and my parents and my brother, this was for me now. This was me wanting to understand who this God is, who this Jesus is, who's the Holy Spirit, um, and really navigating that. Um, but it was also challenging because for a period of time, my dad went back into real estate development before returning to the church. So real estate development, and then he was a pastor and then he went back and then, uh, to real estate development. And then he went back to the church. So it was kind of this roller coaster of navigating, you know, having a dad be super busy in the church world and trying to lead our family. And then two pretty introverted kids who were turned, both turned extroverted, but, um, it was really challenging navigating that. And, I think something we don't often talk about is one, what it's like to be a pastor's kid. It's very hard Two, how to even approach your parent who is a pastor. I think for me, so many people saw my dad and the other pastors in a church as, you know, these beacons of hope and light. And I'm like, well, what about Jesus? What about God? What about the spirit? Those are supposed to be our beacons of light. And so I think for me, it was challenging of wanting to get discipleship and learn how to um, grow my discernment in my faith and my prayer journey and all these different aspects of my faith, but also feeling like 
I was really over being under the spotlight. Uh, it felt like our family and it's still true to this day is in this revolving glass door or revolving glass fishbowl. And it's really challenging because I like the ability to show up and authentically tell people I'm a messy human and I'm a messy Christian and that's okay. And that's acceptable because I am being honest that in my humanity, I sin every single day. And when you're in that revolving glass fishbowl, you don't feel like you can be that. You don't um, feel like you can show up and be seen in the mess, even though Jesus's blood came to wash all of that out and wash that mentality. It's still when you're in those circles and in the church community so heavily, it's really difficult. And then trying to actually communicate that with your parents, trying to communicate that with this church community that you grew up in. Um, you don't want to step on toes. You don't want to hurt feelings, but at the same time, as you mentioned, just even in the intro, my goal in what I do is to empower people to show up as their messy self, knowing that they're in a becoming process, that they are not going to be the same person that they were five years ago, you know, now in five years from now in 10, but that it's also up to us and our responsibility as an individual to make that change, to make those choices in our becoming process to be different and not stay stagnant. And so I think for me growing up in church, um, especially a mega church where there's so many attendees and all these things, it's really challenging to be authentic when things are, you know, you know, people are like, well, it's okay. God forgives everything. So then it gets pushed under a rug instead of actually dealt with. So then a sin pattern continues instead of getting cut off where it needs to, so that God's pruning can actually take full effect and we can see a harvest. And so I think for me, it's frustrating even now of, I am a lot more progressive than most of the people in my parents' community, in my family. Um, and so I think for me, it's challenging of, it's allowed me to have very, very deep encounters with the Holy spirit and with God and just even seeing lately new visions of Jesus and who he is to me and other people. And it's not to say that those around me aren't encountering God in similar ways, but we don't talk about it. Um, and so I'm not really, to be honest, I'm not friends with most people here because I like to get in the nitty gritty. I hate surface level conversations, especially religious based ones and faith based ones. And so I think I make people very, very uncomfortable. And I love that. I love making myself uncomfortable, making other people uncomfortable. However, people in this community do not like that. And so it's been challenging being back after being gone for over three years and that I've grown so much. And it's, you know, I've become very resolved to be stubborn in what I believe, because without it, I would just back down and become the same passive kid I was that I have been challenged and pushed to grow out of those behaviors because they don't serve me anymore. It doesn't serve me to be passive in church. It doesn't serve me to be passive in my relationships, whether that be dating or friendships or with my family or anyone else for that matter. And so I think for me, as I've grown within my testimony of faith, God's like, 
keep your boundaries, keep being stubborn. You know, we have this stigma against being stubborn and there's definitely parts of me that need to not be as stubborn, but there are certain, um, aspects, at least within my faith and how I do ministry, how I do social work even. And they're very, very connected and intersected in many ways. Um, and so for me just to, (laughs) this was a very long answer, but, um, just to like kind of end it of, I stay stubborn in certain ways in my faith, because I really firmly believe that someone needs to know that they can show up in a church building around the church, quote unquote. Um, and they get to be their most authentic self. If they're going through a hardship, they get to walk in and feel like they're surrounded by family because that at the end of the day, to me, in my opinion is what it's supposed to be. When you work, walk in a church, there should be, almost this palpable Holy spirit feeling, which this new church I'm going to, I feel that the last two weeks I have felt something different. I have felt the presence of the Holy spirit. I have walked in feeling like I can be in this season where I don't have the answers to what's next for me. And my, like, as I go towards my goals and my visions for my work, I can come in and I can sit in that and wrestle with it. And someone not tell me, well, don't worry about it. It'll all be fine. Well, no crap. It'll be fine. I know that already, but I'm sitting in it and it's messy and it's hard and I want to be uncomfortable. I don't want someone to put this nice little bandaid on my, on my arm or wherever. And just tell me it'll be fine because then I feel like that creates this stagnant culture of Christians where we don't do anything because we're fine, but we didn't work through what was making us not fine. Um, so that was the long answer, but I think for me, I'm in this really special point in my faith where, you know, I don't need all the answers and that's okay. And there are still days where that's incredibly hard to actually live out that truth. But as I lean more and more into my faith in God, it just, honestly, it becomes easier to do that and to reject the lies that the enemy is putting on me. And even navigating friendships in the church here that my dad still works at, you know, I think it has allowed me to stand really firm in who I am and who God has really healed me to be in the last few years too. Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Some powerful things in there. Um, And just to give some context for people, um, I met Stephanie at Azusa Pacific University, no shock. And yeah. <laughs> her talking about being an introvert is mind blowing to me because um, Stephanie and I met as kids interns in a mega church. And if you're a kids intern at a mega church, you're not allowed to be an introvert. That's just not, <laughs> if you come right. in an introvert, you don't leave one for sure. And, right. um, and also, you know, when she's talking about this stubbornness, um, I, when Stephanie and I met, I was going through a very hard season of personal relationships and faith and mental illness. And she is so true about showing up in the mess. Stephanie and a couple other girls that we interned with, shout out to Megan Martha. Yes. Uh, showed up girls. In dark places that all of us were walking in. And mm-hmm. her, when she talks about stubbornness, I just think of like boundaries because she really taught me what it's like to have a healthy boundary mm-hmm. with, especially with church, when you work at church and knowing when it's okay to like say no to things. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's just something that, you know, when she talks about wanting to walk in this messy, especially empowering women personally, professionally, like 
that's not just a talk. Like that's real life that I've seen in my life. So I appreciate you for that. Um, Absolutely, friend. And so when you're kind of talking about this navigation of you're back home, you're, um, you're living with your family right now, correct? Right. Yeah. Living with your family, but you, like you said, you are not the same person that you were three Mm -hmm. years ago, even four years before that. So much has changed through your schooling, through life. And so we're at this point where I think a lot of us feel that of, you know, a few years post-grad into our professional careers, faith Mm -hmm. is changing so much in our culture is changing. Right. So in terms of your profession, social work, I'm sure your faith ties into that in every detail. Absolutely. And so what's kind of like looking into when you're looking for a church, what are some things that apply to the church and also your work? that are just like, when you talk about stubborn, those are just like no brainers for you. Yeah. Like they Mm -hmm. should go hand in hand. Yeah. You know, I think for me, it's, I loved getting, so my undergrad was obviously APU's a faith-based organization. And then my, I wanted my master's to not be that way so that I could see the other side because obviously a non-faith-based institution brings a more diverse group of religions, backgrounds, traditions, um, diversity. And so I think for me, I got to amazing educations that I would never take back. Um, I felt very blessed in my undergrad. They claimed, you know, and again, quote unquote, they claimed our social work program was very liberal compared to the values of APU. However, they did an incredible job because in social work, you don't, if you're not a faith-based organization, you don't just get to start, you know, talking about Bible verses and who God is and your faith and all these different things. You have to have those really strong boundaries. And even if religion comes up in a case management situation, or if you're out marketing, like when I was a community educator, I could have talked about faith in a few situations. And in some of them I did, but some of them I had to discern and this is not the place for it. Um, and so all of my professors did a phenomenal job teaching boundaries in that way of, I think it, at the end of the day, it really taught me how to be the hands, feet, mouth, you know, body of Jesus without having to proclaim a Bible verse or sing a song or, or do all these things that we claim make us a better Christian or make us, you know, more of a disciple out in our communities. I think that there is something powerful that happens when just our presence alone sets a different tone when we walk in a room that, um, you know, even I walked in somewhere and I just felt at peace. They called me by the wrong name. Cause I actually knew the person they were referring to and we're both tall. So, um, and I just walked in and I was like, Nope, not Lisa. Like I'm Stephanie. And one of the girls mentioned, she goes, you walked in so calm and collected about it. And for me, that was awesome because I used to walk into rooms. I don't want to say aggressively, but it was like balls to the wall, basically sometime um, of like, yeah. I'm Steph, I'm here. And now it's just like, when I walk in a room, you know, obviously like I love talking to people. I love, you know, getting to engage and again, make people uncomfortable like, but I also like to make people comfortable of when I walk in a room, I do want to bring that calm that can intercede for any chaos that is in that room in that, um, you know, I think there's so many, 
forces of the enemy that are so active in our communities, in our homes, in our lives. And if I can be that light, just quietly walking in a room, if I can give off that energy, that's awesome. That's what I want. And so going back to the program, um, you know, I would oftentimes have clients who would talk about faith and sometimes I would, you know, they would ask me like, Oh, are you a believer? And if I felt comfortable with it, I would say yes. And we would talk about it more, but sometimes, you know, it would be perfectly fine for me to not mention it. And they would talk about their faith and that, how that impacts their lives and their healing from trauma and all of these things. And that was great. Uh, I got this education where my Christian values, background, mission, and my own ministry as a believer, it intersected perfectly with the national code of ethics for social work. So, um, for me, that was where I found myself definitely falling into my niche of when I started at APU, I was a, um, exercise science major. And then I switched to social work and I said, this is it for me. This is where I find connection because if I can sit in the mess with someone and help them towards their healing towards, um, what they define as a sustainable and healthy life. That's amazing because not very many people that I know even now in my circle or, you know, in circles outside of mine are really willing to take the time to sit in the messiness of what people are going through. And that sometimes you're not going to have energy to pour into people. So who's going to come fill your cup in so that when they get in a similar spot, you can reciprocate that so that you can, and fill in the gaps for that person too, or that group of people or that family member. And I think that my undergrad really helped form the basis of social work practice for me. And obviously that's where you're, you become a general practitioner. And then in your master's, you know, you get to pick, okay, am I going to be child and family? Am I going to be substance abuse and addiction? I chose community practice, which is really looking at larger systems and how they all um, play together, looking at, um, um, different policy and how that either hinders or encourages communities to uh, be sustainable in all the capacities it needs to be. And so I think for me, being able to navigate both of those programs, my faith in what I've needed in a church has has deeply, deeply changed. Um, I think for me, when I went to Detroit, I said, Lord, I want you to completely break down my faith, like picture this huge brick building, knock it all out. I want it gone. You and I together this time are going to bring it up from the foundation and create something out of this. And so that was incredibly messy. That was tearing down at that point. It was 23 years of good things, bad things, everything in between and really navigating do I have the authentic, fully true and living word of God at the base and the foundation of what I do, how I learn, how I, everything interact with other people, interact with myself. Um, and so I think that was a very crucial moment where I surrendered everything I'd learned before 
And I said, all right, we're going to weed through all of that. And we're going to figure out what's true. We're going to figure out what is coming from trauma. We're going to figure out um, what is coming from lies from the enemy or lies from other Christians who haven't healed. I think that's a huge part of it is when we have unhealed Christians, those who are stubborn in the wrong ways, then they're going to create more damage and then they're going to create messier people and messier communities and lead messier churches and all these things. And, and again, there is nothing wrong with the mess, but what happens when we don't heal, what happens when we don't value ourselves and then the people around us is that there's no accountability there too. That's another big part of how I use empowerment is we have to be accountable. Um, we have to make sure that Um, if we want to become this becoming person, this constantly evolving and growing and maturing person, that's hard. That is sitting in these uncomfortable moments of, but it's more comfortable for me to stay the same, but it's not as hard to sit in the steps it's going to take for me to get where I want to go. For me right now, I'm navigating wanting to own a gym and combine fitness and nonprofit work. I'm in this mess of, I love fitness for myself, but I want to own a gym, but I'm not a professional in that. And then I love nonprofit work, but I'm not a licensed clinician yet. So it's sitting in this mess of, okay, I need people, but I also need you know, people who are in their healing process too. And so looking at the church people I have around me now, how do I navigate, you know, the process of where I want to go to, but also don't force, you know, the process. I think so much of us, it's this instant gratification culture of, I want all my goals and dreams. I want my visions to come true and I want them right now. And it's like, no, honey, like doesn't work like that. And it really cuts out the process. And that's part of the messiness piece. That's part of, you know, healing from trauma, healing from church hurt, healing to healing from all these things is that you have to sit in the process. And so many people don't want to do that. And then they want to be shocked when none of their dreams come true because they wanted to go and cheat their way through the process and cut from point A to B as if there wasn't anything in between. And so not only has my social work career helped me understand that, but, you know, a big part of that too, is we have to get our professional development hours in. And so we do trainings all year long to get that. And then in my free time, you know, I would do self-help books. Somehow I became some guru on books on self-help and love them so much. Um, but then add in the component of faith too. So now I don't have to have them be separate anymore. I get to see, okay, I got my Christian education. I wanted, I also got my secular one and they still intersect. They still blend so, so well. And so I think for me, it's been really neat being able to see that they don't have to be separate because now I'm in this setting of having this big vision of God to combine fitness and social work in the two settings I love the most and that they can be intersecting. They don't have to be separate anymore in my head. I can put them together and God will honor that dream. Um, And so I think in terms of looking for a church now, so I went through that process of saying, God, like deconstruct my faith and let's build it up together. That was incredibly hard because a lot of what I found was that 
the gospel was presented very militantly to me growing up. There was not this empathetic God in the teaching. And for me, that was super challenging because I felt so fragile in the process of growing up. I mean, we all are trying to find our identity and and place in the world. And to have a God that doesn't seem approachable or receivable, that makes it really hard to even want to go to him anyways. And so I really had to navigate that. And at one point, God started giving me these visions of how he is receivable and how, like, I kind of explain it. It's hard, but it's these images of God I get. And it's like these late night talks. He's in a kitchen over, like, he's just leaning against an island and he's just waiting waiting for what I have to say. And he's ready to listen. He's ready to, you know, give me direction and peace and grace and love and mercy and all the things that are within his character, as well as correction of this is where you're sitting now, but I need you here and trying to navigate that of, Oh, so I have to take out these parts of my upbringing, this militant view of God. I need to throw those away because they don't serve me anymore. And now I see this God who is willing to just listen, to hear me, but not only that, but to speak to, and to speak very clearly to me. Um, also within a pretty rapid time frame, um, when I'm really in line with the spirit, God will give me very quick answers, which is terrifying as well as it is wonderful. Um, and so I think for me, having the obedience to say, God, something doesn't sit right in my spirit with how I interact with you, as well as with myself and your people, I need that to change. And so God totally transformed that during my two and a half years in Detroit. By the time I got to Dallas, I kind of called Dallas my Malta. So Paul on his way to Rome had to get stopped in Malta and that kind of pissed him off of, but I'm trying to get to Rome. And for me, it was like, well, I'm trying to get to, you know, somewhere. I don't know where it is. Turns out that my Rome is actually Sacramento, which is a whole healing in and of itself to be back here. But I had to stop in Dallas, which was my Malta, which was my season of getting back to a emotional, spiritual, and physically healthy place in my life. Um, because Detroit was very dark, um, sitting in your own mess creates a darkness and you have to constantly pray it off. And so, um, it was really interesting just being in that space for eight months and finishing up school and realizing, Oh, this is temporary. I am meant to show those who see me, those who will be a part of my ministry, that you can go back to a place that hurt you deeply and God will reconcile everything you used to say would never be reconciled. And that's the space I'm in now. And even though I don't go to the church that um, my family goes to and works at, I still see a deep, deep deeply rooted sign that God was in every single step to get me here. Uh, two years ago, I said, you know, forget it. 
I can do everything by myself. I don't need family. I don't need anyone in that state who used to support me and X, Y, and Z. I had all of this just hyper independence and which is really just a trauma response that was telling me that I didn't need any of that. And now here I am living at my, at my parents' house um, and really surrendering like, God, what do you want me to give to my family? What do you want me to restore? What do you want, you know, the relationships to look like, because I think there's so many expectations of what family look like as we grow up. And then once we get into college and out of college, it's like, Oh, my family's super messy. And it's about walking authentically still and also accepting your parents might not change. Your siblings might not change, but God is consistent and he promises that you can still change even though they won't. You can still change generational trauma and patterns that are not meant to carry and that's okay if no one else does. And so I think I've recognized where my family is very open to their own becoming processes, but I need to be accepting that maybe that doesn't look how I thought or would necessarily want it to look like. Maybe it's slower. Maybe it's also my perception of slower too. So that's a thing to note of like, sometimes you've really got to take yourself out of it and be humble. Um, but I think for me, church and social work have really allowed me to heal from everything before I started my program, heal from the church hurt. Um, and so I think just, you know, bringing it all back around, I think for me, I, I don't think without my social work degree, I would still be a Christian because I think for me, I needed to sit in the reality that things aren't black and white. And that's my opinion. I'm not a black and white person. I'm not even a black, white, and gray. It's like 90 hues of all the rainbow colors, plus a few like sometimes situations because every person is so unique. Every situation, even you could have three people from three different backgrounds and going through the same thing. And you still have to treat each one of those people as an authentic messy individual person because their experiences are going to be different than the second person than the third person in that group. And so I think for me, it's, it's been sitting with that of it's okay that I'm different than my family. It's okay. that I'm different than the people in the church I grew up with. It's okay. Even with the, you know, the church I'm attending now. And so I think for me having social work and church intersect and seeing all the complexities that that means and carries. I think for me, that actually gives me more peace. Um, I think some people get really overwhelmed and overworked when it's not linear. And for me, I'm like, Oh no, the chaos is actually kind of comforting because it makes me feel like less of a mess sometimes. And it makes me feel like, Oh, what I'm going through is actually okay. Because it helps you normalize that life is not just this beautiful frou-frou unicorn and, you know, fairy dust life. Like God has called us to a very, um, you know, uncomfortable life because 
you know, Christ didn't die on the cross for us to just be walking around and having all the money we need and having all the right relationships and all these things and having the best job in the world. Like God, that doesn't grow faith. What grows faith is the hardship that makes us in some ways and forces us into deep dependence on God. Um, so yeah, so that was my long response to, to what you asked. No, that's okay. I like, once again, guys, if you haven't caught on, Steph just has powerful words over and over. Um, and I've witnessed this for many years. So praise God for that. Um, Thank you. So I just want to highlight some of the things. So one of the first things you were talking about is um, obviously like when you go to a Christian school, a lot of people mm-hmm. assume that like maybe your your education is undermined because of Christian education. Right. Um, so I'm really glad that you spoke into the fact that your Christian and secular educations overlapped and really supported each other. Um, because I think that just speaks value to the fact that, um, yeah, like I think a lot of people sometimes are afraid to like, I know personally, sometimes there have been times where I was afraid to admit that I went to APU or I like studied ministry because I don't want people to undermine that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, like Steph and I took a social work class together on child welfare. And, um, you know, she does speak the just facts of we had really hard conversations and, you know, the professor did a great job of just being like, listen, like, is your faith in Jesus? Yes. But every child mm-hmm. you meet isn't going to be a Christian. And so right. you can't just, you can't put a Bible verse on their pain kind of thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're talking about those experiences of working with people where you just have this immense peace um, and it, I immediately thought of two different verses, one in Matthew, um, just paraphrase, you know, where are talking, talking about like, by they'll know you by fruits and deeds. And then the opposite mm-hmm. in John, where he's like, they're going to know you by your love. Like that's immediately yeah. what I thought of because mm. in your line of work, you can say all the pretty frou-frou things you want, but if you're not helping them do the work, helping them heal or helping them get to the resources and the people they need, then it doesn't matter right. what you say. Mm-hmm. And so that was just like my first thought where I was like, dang, that just shows right there, the intersection of faith yeah. and actual work and education. Absolutely. Um, other thing that I just thought spoke volumes was um, that you wouldn't be a Christian without your degree, because I think about that a lot. And obviously I have a ministry degree, so it seems more like, oh, well, of course you're a Christian, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> but like to that point of my education made me reevaluate so many things, mm-hmm. so many Absolutely. things that I had kind of what you said, like these things that I was told about God or about the mm-hmm. church, about what Christians should be like, unhealed Christians telling me right. things. And so to be able to, because I have these tools of an education, similar to what you said, I could sit down and be like, God, like, this is what I've been told, but this doesn't feel true to who you are. Mm -hmm. So how do I find who you are? And the idea of like dreams being able to go together of, I studied ministry because I thought my dream was to be in vocational ministry, which still Mm -hmm. God and I are in the thick of that because every day it goes back and forth. And feeling this call to education and originally thinking, mm. well, it has to be Christian education then because I can't work for a secular mm. school. Like, what would that mean? Yeah. And then to now I work for a secular school that lines up so much with my values that right. like, even just going through the training was like, would leave in tears because I'm like, you, you mean they really care about this kind of stuff mm. and the conversations yeah. that I could have 
with like head of admissions in I'm only I've been here week two and the head of admissions is like hey that's a good point let's have a conversation about this like yeah things like that that's just absolutely exactly and it's just Mm -hmm. those things were exactly what you said of I I opened my my heart and my mind to the idea of hey maybe this is possible outside of what I thought it could be and God showed up and God provided in a way that I never expected he would. Absolutely. And I think that just speaks volumes to so many people in this sort of, whether they're deconstructing in the beginning stages, they're in the middle of it, mm-hmm. or maybe they're done and they think like the church has nothing left for me. I think that there's so much to even just be said of like doing the work of healing and mm-hmm. being open-minded to things is truly going to change your life kind of thing. Right. Absolutely. No, I think that's true. And something to go off of that too, because I love that, you know, you're in this setting of still getting to do education. God just brought how it's presented differently. I was um, listening to a sermon series last fall on forgiveness. And the pastor was saying, you know, we walk around with so much offense that God will send the very blessing, the very gift, the very promise, but we will do a return to sender. This isn't for me. This couldn't be for me because it looks different because it doesn't look how we kind of had formed it in our brains going into it. And I think that just speaks volumes to the goodness of God of his way is better. His plan is better. His covenant is better. The grace he speaks is better. And so I think it's, it's awesome getting to navigate and even seeing your journey and other friends too, of God is bringing full circle, a lot of dreams and they certainly look different than we thought they would, but they're still all moving towards prayers that we have been speaking up to heaven for years now. So I just think that's incredible. I think that even ties into just the idea of how the church participates in social work and social justice, social welfare of, I think that Christians in just like when I say Christians, you know, modern day American, white evangelical, Mm -hmm. what have you, they think of like social reform in one way or Mm -hmm. how we can help the quote unquote least of these in very boxes of cookie cutter, pretty we're yep. going to do a food drive. We're going to send some. We're going to have a serve day. Yes. We're going to go. <laughs> yeah. We're going to go. Exactly. We're going to fill shoe boxes with toys to send to kids mm-hmm. in Mexico for Christmas. Like, right. We're going to go down to Skid Row and hand out pizza to the homeless because that sounds like a good idea and totally ignore right. the work that's been happening there for generations. But, you know, right. we just want to feel good about ourselves. Today. Right. Exactly. And so I, yeah, I just think of, exactly what you said of there's so much work that's happening. And I think if we could have this sort of revolution, this breakthrough as the capital C church in the United Mm -hmm. States to just really understand that, you know, we need to, we need to listen to people that are experts in their field and Mm -hmm. not just think we're going to start another Christian nonprofit. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to do that, like you really think like God has called you to do that, like, and you've Mm -hmm. discerned and there's people backing you, then do it. But I would really encourage you to do it with professionals who have the Mm -hmm. education, who have the work. Absolutely. Because I think, I think again, like we've talked about this before, the church is, the church is so massive in numbers and in Mm -hmm. funding and so many other things that if we really just kind of stood up and said, we're dedicated to this cause we Mm. can cause we could 
we could bring action together. Right. And if we, if we ditched the, well, this is my church here in Tucson. We did this. What is your church in mm-hmm. Sacramento doing? If we just partnered together right. and said, yeah. why not? Like, let's just do it. Like, mm-hmm. so when thinking about things like that, do you, do you see that as something that's possible in, in the near future? Or do you think there's still so much more work to be done within the church? Ooh. I think that, and this is just my observation over time. I think competition and competitive church building, competitive nonprofit building, competitive corporate business building, all these things, you know, we learn competition within sports when we're kids. And then we realize it carries over into every aspect of our, of our lives and work and yeah, (laughs) work and, you know, church and gym life and all these things. It's crazy to me. And that's part of the, another component of the empowerment piece. I just, especially with women, I want us to just lay it out on the table that we can be friends, that we can be sisters, that we, um, you know, can be business partners, that we can be co-supporters of each other's businesses and things like that, because everyone has such a unique story and influence in their own way. And to use competition as a tool to degrade or compromise someone's mission or to just criticize them Mm-hmm. is is really disappointing in a lot of women I've seen over time uh, who have gotten into positions of power and influence and used it to um, shame other women or churches like you and I were just having this conversation <laughs> last week. Yes, um, yes. And when you use that influence without the presence of God and the Holy Spirit, it's really damaging because as Christians, we are set apart as consecrated members of the kingdom and body of God. And for us to continue, you know, we can't have the world and, um, in our faith, they don't, they are at enmity with each other. They are enemies. And yet we still try and choose humanity mm-hmm. because, and I mean, we all fall, fall short in this area. We all fall into sin in it, but it's really sad, especially when people, get into influence and it turns out that they're still the same broken person they started out as, but because of hype and all these things, they seem to be this, you know, evolved human when at the end of the day, maybe they're not, and maybe they are evolved, but at the end of the day, if you fall back to old patterns, have you really submitted and surrendered that to the Lord for his work to bring healing and reconciliation? And so I think for me, when I look at even Christian nonprofits, um, you know, funding looks different with that and, and non-religious nonprofits. And so I think for me, in terms of gaining funding and even reputation, it's a better route for me to not be a faith-based nonprofit, um, especially working in the gym world too. But going back to what I was saying about being, you know, someone who shows up in a room and there's just something set apart and different about me, that's how I want my businesses to look like. So I might not have a Bible verse, you know, spray painted across the walls of my gym, but something is going to be different. And just how I interact with the people who walk in my doors, 
I want that to spark conversations about faith. Like, Hey, you're really cool. Like what's, what's up with that? I've had people say that before and I'm like, it's God. Like God just sets me apart differently to talk differently, to act differently, to show you love differently. And so unfortunately I don't think we will arrive to really honest and real change in that way soon. I think that is something, I mean, you think of systemic racism, that is not an issue I find will be resolved. And it's not that God can't do it, but I think it will take till Jesus comes back for it to be resolved. And obviously that's just my opinion. I think God is capable of blowing our minds because he's so much bigger than us. But I think because of our humanity, because of the messiness we let go unhealed because of our own pride and wanting to be the best and, and all these things, I really think that it would take people laying down all of that pride and people aren't willing to do that. People want to have that negative stubbornness, um, versus the stubbornness that comes from boundaries and wanting to honor what God has specially gifted us. Um, I think of all the things that God has told me and people have been like, well, did he really say that to you? Did he really give you that vision? Did he really? And it's like, those are coming from those unhealed people. Also those people who don't believe that God gives visions or does these things, but I've just had these incredible encounters with God. And so that's where you kind of have to funnel out things. I think there are going to be phenomenal nonprofits, um, faith-based or secular. I think there are going to be incredible businesses that continue, um, with longevity, especially after this pandemic. I mean, you see all these businesses and wealth that have come from such a difficult and hard season in all of the globe. And I think now is a very pivotal moment to make sure that accountability piece comes back in accountability with the church, with social, social services. I work in, um, with corporate businesses and all these things with small owned businesses. Um, and so I think if we can get humble enough to submit our pride down on the table and say, Hey, here's my pride. This is what it looks like. It's ugly help me do something about it. I think that's where we start navigating, um, being able to be less competitive, but honestly, no, I don't think it's, it's something that we could see a huge difference in by, you know, next year, maybe five years down the line, it looks different, maybe 10, but certainly not in a year from now. I, I like that you touched on that accountability aspect because I think a lot of times, uh, unfortunately for Christians, they, the mentality of, you know, we know that sickness will never be fully healed until Jesus right. comes back, mm-hmm. but we like, we don't use that as an excuse to not research like healing and research, right. you know, like things like that. So I, I want Christians to have that same mentality of, Mm-hmm. systemic racism, all these other social issues, like some of them will truly never be healed till Jesus comes back, but that's not an excuse right. to not do the work. It's right. not an excuse Absolutely. to like, Amen. it's not an excuse just to sit around. And that's where that accountability comes in. Exactly what you said of, right. If you're, you know, like if you're, if your first gut reaction is I want to find a faith-based nonprofit that matches my, my, like the work and do the work of systemic racism. That's a great place to start. 
if you're not finding that, then you exactly mm-hmm. what we talked about earlier, you need to expand your mind because if you think that God isn't actively working in quote unquote secular spaces, then you have mm-hmm. a really small vision of what you think God's glory is. Absolutely. And, and his capacity too. Yes. And so yeah. it's things like that of just daily opening up that space. And I think just in general of, you know, what the pandemic has really done for me of, is taught me of what does church look like? Not just the going to church mm-hmm. on Sunday. It's the right. having conversations with friends that live across the country. It's having conversations, mm-hmm. you know, Josie and I made this podcast in the middle of, of quarantine. And right. I've found a lot of Jesus, God healing moments in this mm-hmm. than I had sitting in pews for a long time. Amen. And I think it's just, again, it's building that, that rapport with people and it's Mm -hmm. building that within communities now of, okay, we, we know our assignment, so we got to go out there and actually do it. And, Mm -hmm. and again, this like, you know, social justice issues that have come up with black lives matter and all these Mm -hmm. other things that are just happening for COVID of access to healthcare because of COVID, Mm -hmm. like, vaccines yes like that stuff that um you know i mean just plain and simple people are listening i assume you've listened a while or if you know steph then i don't this isn't a shock like christians should care about that christians should care about black lives matter we should care about Mm -hmm. access to resources and health care especially in the midst of a global pandemic like right that's stuff that we should care about and unfortunately i've seen the church fail time and time again and Mm -hmm. i think um Josie and I touched on this a couple episodes of, um, you know, every 500 years, there's like a big shift in like mm-hmm. the church and faith. Yeah. And we're, uh, a f- couple years over the 500 mark from the reformation. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know if you feel it, but I feel that the church as a whole on a global level is making moves yeah. and there's people that are resisting and there's people, and there's also people that are like, you know, it's twofold. There's, there's healthy mm-hmm. resistance. And then there's also like, we need to be stuck in this. Right. And that's not healthy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think so too, especially when we read the word of God, we know that it is the living, breathing word of God and it's our guide to literally everything. Mm-hmm. And I think I am noticing in our age bracket, you know, twenties, those in our twenties, like 20 to 35, maybe the millennial sort of bracket. The, uh, yeah. hate it so much, but, um, <laughs> You know, I am noticing that we are trying so hard to redesign scripture so it makes us feel better that we're living in a lot of worldly sin. Um, and I think that's challenging for me in that I can understand how easy that is. Um, I can understand that sometimes it makes us feel better if we can create a relationship to a verse or chapter in the Bible or a parable, whatever it might be. But the word of God is what it is. And if we try and change it, it goes back to my piece on comfortability and trying to stay comfortable versus sitting in the mess and the uncomfortable. And that when we receive Christ in us and that vindication from our sin now into forever, that means we have to live consecrated. That means that we have to stay true to the scripture that we have to put the work in to truly understand it. I'm in Isaiah right now with a friend of mine and I was sitting into the other day, honestly, 
honestly pissed off because I realized that the people in the Bible were literally just as messy as the people of today. That has not changed. Humanity in itself is still ugly and messy and broken, but that's why Christ came. So why would I do a disservice to the gift of Christ by not wanting to live differently? And trust me, it is so hard and I, I get it. And, you know, I'm the queen of like trap music blasting in my super white neighborhood and people hate it and whatever. And, you know, there are areas where I definitely am consecrated and set differently than the people here, but not necessarily in a good way. And so being able to even, you know, I make a joke out of it, but being able to look at that too, of why is it that, um, you know, sometimes we look at the word and we just want to make it comfortable instead of sitting in the fact that this, the word of God shows me that humanity has still been the same. And that, that makes it even harder as I don't. And some people argue that, you know, we're becoming a more sinful and, and dirty and yeah, just like perverted nation. The more time goes on, I'm like, do you, have you read the Bible? Like (laughs) there's like gang rape and all this mess in there. And that's still going on now. It hasn't changed. We're just now talking about it. And so I think that's the big difference of all these things that are going on. We're in the Bible but now we're talking about it. So now everyone wants to act uncomfortable. So then that begs the question, do you really read the word? Because if people aren't uncomfortable and sitting and annoyed with the people of the Bible, we're not going to be annoyed with ourselves individually, with those in our circle, with those we see all around us on social media, there's all this stuff. And so I think for me, it's been really interesting sitting with that. And I don't know necessarily what, you know, age bracket I'm really looking for in ministry. I know my nonprofit will be high school students, but even in terms of like my women's ministry, I'll start to, I'm like, maybe this just needs to be this age bracket. The ones where we create all these excuses to not move forward in a obedient and God honoring way. And I think, you know, there's so many ways in which we can, um, you know, move forward, being consecrated to walk fully and being purified by God. I remember, um, God gave me this image and I was wearing this stained gown, but the blood of Christ was dripping off the cross and it made my gown white. And I remember just sitting in that image and thinking, wow, God will, always be able to do more than anyone around me because he sent his son so that my mess would be purified, that I would find vindication from every single thing I'm going to go through in my life. Because at the end of the day, my faith is fully backed and rooted on the gospel, on the truth of who God is, who his son is, how strongly the spirit moves. And so I think for me, even I was asking God, like, you know, this is a couple months ago before I moved back to California. I said, Lord, I see you a lot and I feel your spirit, but what about Christ? Could you give me an image of him? And again, it came back to that cleansing factor of, I got an image of Christ bent over a dirty bucket of water with a rag 
And God was like, he still cleans you. That's his, like, that's part of who he is and his character. Christ came so that that dirty water would be just a representation that I'm not that same person and that I'm purified. And, you know, what the world stains, the blood of Christ cleanses and purifies and makes whole and complete and beautiful. And so I think for me, I, I don't, honestly, I don't even know where we started with this one in that question, but I think that's the beauty <laughs> of these conversations. Like, I just think that that, that's maybe one of the points, I guess, God wanted to come across in this conversation <laughs> is that you get to come authentically messy, but the gospel speaks a better way and a better covenant. And so how do we walk in that? How do we um, recognize ourselves as consecrated and needing to leave, live differently and so, so that we can really drop our humanity so that we can take, take up our cross and really live out the gospel more authentically. Well, and in, in that, like, so when we were talking about the, um, like the, you know, like the living word of God and like people using it to be comfortable, mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think some people do it to like, they change it to like justify their, what they're doing to make them feel safe. And I think it's also like, there's, you know, there are certain people that would say, Oh, like all of these young people, like they justify the word of God to promote X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. But also like those churches have also been using the word of God to promote X, Y, or Z for however long. Violence, domestic violence in their white homes Um, and child abuse and child rape. Yes. There's just three examples there. uh, And also, you know, when we talk about things like, um, you know, unfortunately there are people that are like, well, slavery was in the Bible or, you know, they use outdated, out of context, what Mm -hmm. have you to promote things like racism or like you were talking about like abuse and things like that. And I love when you were talking about, um, you know, being uncomfortable in the word, because some conversations that I've had a lot of, you know, when people are like, why are like millennials, Gen Z, why are this, why is this age group leaving the church? And a lot Mm. of people, like even like, you know, pastors have said, well, you know what? They really took seriously the teachings of Jesus. And unfortunately, they're not always seeing that lived out in your communities and that's why they're dipping. And so Mm -hmm. you can blame it on all of these other things, but if we're not willing to look at ourselves, then we're never going to fix this issue. Absolutely. And I think that's even the beauty of it of, you know, I know there are things that you and I disagree on as far as scripture, Mm -hmm. the Bible, but I like that you and I sit in that all the time and, you know, we'll, we'll, send dms back and forth or you know we had a Mm -hmm. phone call last week about what have you and just things (laughs) like that of like dang like i i really i like the place that we're in because i Mm -hmm. like that even in our disagreement we can still come back to like hey but you know and uh what you know what they call like a essential versus non-essential you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like both of us agree like the essential of the foundation of jesus we agree mm-hmm. that that's essential. And there's other things that maybe are non-essential because Jesus covers that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I Absolutely. like, and I like living in that tension because, um, you know, that's something that I've had previous conversations on the podcast. If y'all have listened, you know, we had an episode about, um, like, uh, queer Christians and one thing of them going to churches where, it was told that that was non-essential, but they taught mm-hmm. like it was essential, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, that makes they were, sense. They were excluded from the community, even though they were taught right. that it wasn't a salvation issue. Mm-hmm. And so it's even things like that of like, listen, um, I think you and I could agree that Jesus is the foundation. So Amen we can that. have yes. this overarching mm-hmm. understanding of that. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I just like... I'm overwhelmed by this conversation. I, I'm like, oh, good. So many thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I loved it so much. Um, good. Listen, do you have any, anything else you want to explore? Final thoughts? I got all the time in the world. So you, you tell me yeah. what you, what you have on your heart right now. I mean, I think like final thoughts is really just that I love what you just said, like sitting in the tension of it. The tension is a beautiful place because we all, again, as I've mentioned, like just reiterating the fact, like we've all come from such different backgrounds, but at the end of the day, God has the last word. He had the first word too. Yeah. (laughs) So everything in between, it's like sit in the tension. Like it's so beautiful to have friendships with similar views, different views, everything in between, because I think that's where we find our most authentic self to our, where we're able to find our clear identity in Christ. And, you know, I think that speaks to it too, of when you think about it, when it talks in scripture about bearing the image of Christ, we all look so physically different and yet we still bear the image of Christ. And that Mm -hmm. goes to show how important diversity is too. diversity in race and gender and um, religious backgrounds and traditions. And I think it's beautiful when that um, grows relationships versus taints them or create separation and division because I think um I think my biggest thing and underlying hope for what I do and just even how I engage during my whole lifespan is that I just you know I want moments where I just sit and listen and really reflect on other people and their lives and their influence and opinions and all these things and their truth. Because I think at the end of the day, I would hate to look back on my legacy and have not sat in the mess and the beauty really of having a different perspective. Because I think when you have all the different perspectives, we talk in social work about having a multidisciplinary team, every team, every person, person in that group comes from a different, you know, maybe a different system. Like, you know, take, for example, I was working nonprofit, um, domestic violence. I paired with law enforcement as well as courts. That's three different systems with three different ways of doing things, but all the same mission. And so same thing in the church and just in humanity and, and relationship as a whole, the beauty is that it's messy, that you are learning to love someone despite despite the differences, despite, you know, things that might uh, bring up anger or frustration or pride or stubbornness, things like that. At the end of the day, it's these conversations. It's the ones we have in larger groups in church and everywhere where we're just able to sit and say, Hey, this is what I think about it. And here's why, here's how my upbringing impacted it. My work my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's just a great space is in that tension. Yeah. I think that even adds into what you said earlier about um, 
you know, being partners and sisters, like for women, when you talk about the Imago day, like your success, like your master's degree, your this mm-hmm. and that, that doesn't change your value because right. your value is inherent in your humanity in being mm-hmm. created in the image of God. Yeah. And so when we try to tear each other down as, as other women, as Christians, as just mm-hmm. flawed people, like that doesn't change that other person's value. And it right. doesn't, I mean, it makes you look like a shitty person, but it doesn't even right. change your value. Like, <laughs> right. Because that, like, that's already been taken care of. That's already been stamped, mm-hmm. marked from day one. Yeah. And so exactly like living, living in the tension, I think that can, and I think that is what scares people too, of mm-hmm. being associated with certain people. Cause living in the tension, right. you have to be associated with all kinds of people. Yeah. And I think people are afraid of that when, mm-hmm. why are you afraid of that? Because your value, your worth, your humanity is already stamped and taken care of. Yeah. Amen. So like, so you good. don't, you don't have to, it doesn't matter that, you know, you are having conversations with the, you know, I mean, cheesy, but like in the Bible, Jesus hung out with everybody. Like, yeah, literally. we're called, we're called to hang out with everybody. And yeah. I can say personally, I have people in my life that we are on different religious spectrums. I have people with different political spectrums, mm-hmm. different socioeconomic race, right. ethnicity on so many different wavelengths. And I like, that doesn't bother me. And I, mm-hmm. it makes me sad when I see some people trapped in these circles because they're afraid right. of what people will think or say if they start mm-hmm. branching out. You know what I mean? Amen. Yeah. And even how many opportunities we miss because we have this stigma against tension that we need to avoid it. Yes. Imagine how many people, you know, when we, when we look at scripture and then we put it into context of like, imagine how many people you can walk by who could be Jesus and you missed it because you didn't want to get uncomfortable. Yes. And there there's people on my, on my walk through just my life, through my Christian faith, who, you know, I, I disagree with them on a lot of things, whether it be politically or whatever, what have you, but Mm -hmm. have loved me well and have shown Jesus to me and have Mm -hmm. shown Jesus to my family, my friends. And I think similar to the conversation we had last week of, you know, I left a certain church space for different reasons, but that does not negate the love that I felt, the, Mm -hmm. the teaching, the leadership, all everything that that community gave me and fed into me that doesn't negate that right and so I yeah I just I think that just going forward of like you know there's people leave because of trauma and terrible things and Mm -hmm. that's valid and you don't have to you don't have to say that there was good things out of that but people like me just because you left you left because of just like disagreements Mm -hmm. don't don't act like there was this bad stuff that happened when really it was all very right. 100% uplifting. Like mm-hmm. there was not anything traumatic that made me leave. It was 100% right. just I'm growing and I feel like God's calling me out and that's valid. That's mm-hmm. totally okay. You know? Yeah. And there's deliverance in all things. And I, I yes. firmly believe in choosing joy and encouragement and positivity because at the end of the day, yes, we go through really hard things, but if we can see that through a lens of God's redeeming love for us, mm-hmm. it completely changes the game. Yeah. And I think too, of just, you know, um, so many, and again, you know, I might get canceled for this, but so many in this sort of deconstruction <laughs> community. And I yeah. mean, 
I wish Josie was here because we always joke Josie's the shit talker and I'm the reasonable level head. <laughs> yeah. I like there there are just certain times when I'm like that, you know, like I'm all I'm all for calling crap out. I'm all I'm on yeah. it. I wanna, you know, we can throw down the shit talk, whatever, mm-hmm. what have you. Yeah. But there are times when I'm just like, we're just picking at nothing now. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. right. and like I just I think of past seasons where, you know, there's seasons where I was like that like what happened after processing and healing like that was traumatic and that really freaking sucked and then there's other there's other seasons where i'm like there was nothing inherently bad about that i just grew and that's okay and so i have zero desire to to talk crap about it you know yeah love that (laughs) so true (laughs) well i know i already asked you for final thoughts but if you have one more final thought (laughs) or anything i think you know i don't have any other thoughts i think that i just love this space to come and have deeper conversations because it's rare so i just appreciate the two of you for starting this because i myself you know i've had to catch my own pride of like not wanting to be in relationships with people who you know are surface level and i think you know we always will have a blend of kind of the surface level and the deep deep Mm -hmm. um, friendships and community but at the end of the day i think that the seeds that you are planting through these conversations are going to reap a crazy harvest of just so much goodness in, you know, keeping church accountable for what it's done, both good and bad. Right. Yeah. And being able to allow God again, to have the final word to be the one who prunes back what doesn't serve us and, you know, keep propelling us forward too. So thank you for creating this space and having me on here. Well, thank you. I'm so glad that you came on. You're always welcome back. Thank you. Um, yeah. Part two coming yes. soon. <laughs> Steph, if you want to, you know, we always invite you if you want to invite people to engage with you, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am currently only on Instagram, so you can find me. My handle is Stephanie Shawl. Um, it's S T E P H A N I E S H A U L L. And just give me a friend request and I'll accept you. Yeah. And we'll obviously we'll post this on Instagram and we'll tag her. So if you guys want to find stuff, she's doing awesome work. Um, If you enjoyed her prophetic words, she's always dropping those on Insta and I love (laughs) them. Um, And in true Stephanie fashion, she's not afraid of the hard conversation. So uh, I encourage you to engage with her if you have questions or anything like that. Yeah, Um, absolutely. As always, you know, you can find us on uh, Instagram at speaking in church. You can send us an email if you want to be on here. We do have a new calendar system. You can find that on Instagram in our bio. Uh, send us an email at speakinginchurch at gmail.com. And uh, as always, you know, Josie says, get woke or stay woke. And I say, Jesus loves you. Have a great week, guys. We'll see you next time. <laughs>